0: you are listening to evolve with nicolette my name is nicolette and i'm on a journey of healing my soul evolving my mindset while building my up-and-coming small business all the while being the best mommy and wife i can be please follow me on all social media platforms at lush paper on instagram and on facebook also please follow my hashtag evolve with nicolette now on to this episode All right, hello everyone! Thank you so so much for listening week after week after week. If this is your first time here, welcome. I am Nicolette, and this is Evolve with Nicolette podcast, where I am documenting my healing journey, um, and hopefully promoting helpfully um, healthy mindset and helping you um, with some motivation. and inspire you in some way or um, just motivate you to be on your own journey of healing and evolving. Um, this week, I'm going to be winging it again because it was just too, it was too much to put on paper. So um, the last episode got so much um, response, I guess, for how raw it was and how emotional it was, and it's, I feel like the next couple episodes are going to be about the same. Um, just because um, it's a significant time um, in my life right now. Um, Every year around this time, it's a difficult, I guess, date to process. It is my older brother's um, birthday, and he would have been... 42 years old Um, he passed when he was 18 so this and I was 10 years old at the time so he passed in 1998 so I have been so this episode is going to be about loss obviously and grief and I have experienced I have had so much experience. And unfortunately in this area at such a young age and in a very short amount of time, um, I lost, um, very important people to me within a short time span. So when I was about eight years old till about 14, those were very critical years because, I lost. I experienced a lot of death around that time, and um, and it was hard. And I kind of feel like it. it really did make a big difference on who I was, on who I am, you know, and then uh, how I was growing up to be. And it's even hard to like put into words. So, like I tried to do my usual um, bullet. You know my bullet point list, um, bullet point list, and I couldn't, I couldn't do it. I basically just listed off everybody who died in chronological order, and it was just tears from there. So I just was like, let me go, let me have like a self day uh, or self, you know, self care night. So I went to go dye my hair, did a little root touch-up on myself, and took a shower, and now I'm here, so I've already, I feel like I, every time I take a shower, I like, wash away, like, whatever vibe was on me, or whatever it was, so whatever feelings I was feeling before, um, you know, let's see if they come up again, but I'm gonna try to do this without crying as much, um, just because I want the content to be, you know, I've, you know so you could comprehend it. I don't I don't want it to be that you're always crying or that you don't want to listen to me cuz I'm always crying or I don't know. Um this is my healing journey, so you know, I do feel like when you cry, it's, you know, the negative and the toxins coming out in physical form out of your body. So it is okay to cry, but not if I want to have um a decent podcast. <laughs> Um, so I'm glad that I'm able to be vulnerable and then people are able to relate to that, but I want my message to be clear and for you to be able to hear me and understand me, you know? Um, but no promises. (laughs) So, uh, where do I start? Um, so, so my, my mom's mom, my abuelita died when I was eight. Now, I didn't have a lot of experience, like a lot of memories with her and I didn't really grow up with her. It was more like I saw her on the weekends and um, that's unfortunate because she was a very, she was like the glue to our family, at least to my mom's family, you know, and she was a strong single mother and raised, I think it's six children by herself and came to United States and made a life for herself here, and helped also my aunts raise my cousins and and it was a very um when she died, it was a very traumatic experience like if you want to talk about like one of my first trauma experiences, it was definitely around when she was um that last year of her being sick and You know, the days that she, you know, around that she passed away and her funeral. My family and my aunt, my aunts were definitely not ready to let my grandmother go. And it was a very tumultuous time. I hope that's the right word. Very traumatic. Excuse me, a very traumatic time for my family. You know, emotions are running high, so so this is my first experience with somebody dying. Right. And then I kind of felt like every, every loss after that was pretty much the same, like high stress until, um, I met my husband's family and experienced them what loss looks like and how it's supposed to look like. So, I mean, we'll get to there eventually, but with, with my family, it was very... There was a lot of arguing. There was a lot of tears. There was a lot of fighting. There was a lot of yelling. There was a lot of... Um, I guess, like... I don't know. Just the emotion being expressed by everybody. And everybody handling it in such a raw and vulnerable way. And nobody knew how to process death. You know what I mean? And that was hard you know and my mom was one of the ones who really stepped up in my in my family and you know kind of took the reins and started doing things and I mean everybody did do their part you know and but my brother my younger brother and I were the youngest of the bunch so that was hard to lose her at that time because we had the least amount of time with her. And then my brother died two years later when I was 10. And that was a whole different other story in itself. And I think I want this episode just to be about him. Because this week, like I was trying to say earlier, is a significant time because it's my brother's birthday. And usually around his death and anniversary and around his birthday, I feel kind of weird And sometimes if I'm not really paying attention to the date, I'm like, "Mm, why do I feel, you know, like I feel heavy. I feel like there's like a boulder on my shoulders or I start to smell familiar smells or I start to feel sad and emotions are running high. And um, I usually look at the date and I'm like, oh, well, that's why, you know, and. Um, October twelfth is his birthday, and so we're about that time. So why not have this, ded- you know, whole episode dedicated just to him and my whole process of loss and grief over the years, you know? Um, because when I did when I did my birthday ritual a couple weeks ago, you know, I did I lit a candle for each decade I've been alive. So from zero to ten, you know, that was you know, you don't really remember much, especially from zero to five. Right. So I don't really have, it was more like, Oh, that was baby Nico. You know, she was growing up and then she experienced loss towards the end of that decade. And then from, you know, the, the candle I lit from 10 to 20, that was just a very significant time in my life just because of all the loss I I, had experienced within that time span, you know, and my brother obviously starting off that decade of me turning 10, um, that was significant, I guess, up until this point in my life of me being 32. And so let's start from the beginning. So, um uh, my brother and I don't share the same dad, but we were not raised being half anything. He is my brother and he is, you know, was my absolute number one, you know, I didn't have a great loving relationship with my dad. He did love me and but he didn't really know how to show it and especially in a protective way. My dad just did not know how to, I don't know, love me. I don't know, or express the way how he would love love me. But anyways, so my brother definitely showed me love and care and protected me. And obviously there was a 10-year age difference between him and I. So um, I feel like him being that much older, he, you know, he had this love for me as his baby sister, you know, and went um, and he would take care of us from time to time. He didn't live with us though, but he was with us like on the weekends for as long as I can remember. He was, uh, very present in my life growing up, up until we lost him and that summer because he passed away in june right before fourth of july he i always like i just i had just had this conversation with my husband it was like one of the best summers right of my life and it was it's crazy how kind of life happens that way where sometimes the people that leave you unless it's unexpected you know um unexpected or some you know obviously my brother's death was unexpected but the fact that he left me with all these memories or at least these these this feeling of a great summer, um, you know, was I'm just so thankful for that, right? Because I'm able to hold on to those memories at least for as long as I can remember because that's one of the saddest things about losing someone so young is that slowly you get to, you lose those memories, right? And you... Just forget, just because your memory could only remember so much. And I can't, I couldn't tell you if I remember what his voice sounds like over the phone. And that's sad, right? But it's been 20, 21 years, I think it was this year, of being without him. So that's hard, but I remember the feelings, I remember me loving him so much. I remember how awesome it was to spend so much time with him that summer. Him and my younger brother, and the you know one of the saddest parts is that my little brother was four at the time, so he has no recollection, really no recollection of my brother, and that's sad. I feel bad for him, and I don't really want to speak on my younger brother a lot, but. He has suffered a lot and endured a lot since he's passed. And I don't even think he realizes it's because from it's it's from his death, you know. <sighs> well, we're 13 minutes in and the waterworks is here. <laughs> <sighs> so it's one of those things where I guess what I'm trying to say is that, it, you know, loss hits everyone different, and grief hits everyone different, and it's also dependent on how old you are at the time, because for me being 10, and basically you know, because I also want to go over how he died also. So the day that he passed away, you know, I have... I'm only 10. I have no recollection. So I want to give it based on how I remember my brother was 18 and he was driving and he was someone who, you know, he took care of us and he would come with us and be with us on the weekends and we would do stuff with him. And actually that weekend that he passed, um, he usually would borrow my mom's car, which from now I look back and I don't understand why he borrowed my mom's car if he had his own Cadillac. He had a white Cadillac, a four door white Cadillac, like one of those old like old cars. But back then it was you know new, <laughs> um, but it was like a gangster car, you know. And he had also other cars, so I didn't understand why he had to borrow my mom's car. So this is a you know this is significant you know, a little bit later in the story, but, um, we're supposed to go to Lake Paris that weekend. And from what I remember is that what my mom said was that he was supposed to come back on Saturdays or he, on Sunday, he had a party on Saturday, so he was going to come be with us on Sunday, something like that around that time he had um left for his party and you know there was no cell phones back then it was pagers so my mom said that she had been paging him and he wouldn't be calling back and then i guess rolls around monday i'm not even i don't even remember if we ended up going to lake paris but monday rolls around and i always went to my lola's house my grandmother's house my mom's dad my dad's mom always went to her house every, every day because, you know, she's the one who took care of me. And I remember how quiet that house was that day. And I wasn't allowed to turn the TV on. And I don't remember trying to turn the TV on or anything, but I just remember, like, the looks like my aunt and my grandmother would give me. Um, just kind of like, like, is she okay? You know, like the look in their eyes is just like, what's, you know, like I had no idea like what, what was going on whatsoever, just that I could not turn the TVs on. And I mean, being 10, like, hello, I need to watch the TV. I didn't understand. Then here comes my mom and dad and they sit me and my brother down, my younger brother and tell us that my brother will not be coming back home anymore. And that somebody had hurt him. Imagine processing that at 10. I can't even... I not even. I don't even remember. Like, see, that's the thing is that you know the time, memories fade, and I don't remember really. I remember. I don't really remember crying. It's kind of like you know, pieces of memories, right? Because then from there, I remember the you know the funeral parlor. That he was at, and the room was kind of like this, hue this pink hue and I just remember being in the back and I remember it being so full and I remember somebody saying or like my mom said or me overhearing her I don't remember if I was told but I remember that they had hurt my brother so bad that they had to have a veil over his open casket because it was he was not in the best of shape And I remember friends of my, friends of my brother coming up to my mom to give their condolences and she kind of like would screech out and scream, like cry scream. And that was hard, you know, to, to see your mom hurting like that. And then me processing it right now in this moment, because now I'm a mom and I have, I have all boys and I couldn't imagine my what my mom has had to live through all these years without my brother. I my heart breaks for her. And I remember so many people he, we had had his sem- his his services at a at a church in Linwood, where my family's from, and that was like our family church, and it was my grandmother's two favorite priests, and I guess she had some pull, and she had Father Guy and Father Gotti, um do his funeral services. Oh no, not my grandmother. Uh my aunt, sorry. Um my aunts and my mom had my grandmother's favorite priest um do his funeral services. And so I remember that and then I remember uh, we have him in a mausoleum. Uh but it's outdoors. So I just remember a sea of people. It had to be about 200 people at his funeral. And now looking back and now what I know now and all the gangster movies I've watched and all these things. Later on I would find out that my brother was a gang member and I had barely found this out. I was already with my husband. We went to go visit him. Sorry, I'm skipping over a little bit forward in the story, but I had found out that he was a gig member just cause on one of the days like this, I think it was an anniversary or his birthday. We would always go around that time to the cemetery to go, you know, go put flowers and to go visit, I guess. And they had tagged, I don't want to say, but where he was from. And then his nickname usually I never really put two and two together, but because I was already like 20 something at that time, I was like, oh my God, like my brother was a gang member, you know? And it made total sense because, you know, looking back towards the way how he died, you kind of just put two and two together, you know? So I didn't really, my mom didn't really tell me what happened Or at least I don't remember, you know, she didn't give me details and I could understand why. Because it was very, very, very heavy and very, uh, very gory, you know, I guess. And I guess uh, there was like a year later or a couple months after his death, I was in my room and I could hear my mom screaming And she, I can't really even remember if she was yelling at my dad to get a videotape, to put in the VCR, to press, you know, to record something. But she started to yell. Then I guess like when I came out, you know, to see the commotion, my mom was basically like, you need to get out of here. Like, you know, me and my brother cannot see what was on the TV that she was watching, So come to find out that actually my brother's death, my brother's murder, was on A&E. And they didn't ask my mom for permission. They didn't blur out his face. So my mom basically saw everything. So rewind back to when he actually passed away. My brother was missing for three days with my mom's car. And my mom kept on paging him. And I guess one day at work, she got a phone call saying like, Hey, I think this is... It was a helicopter circling over a car that was very similar to my mom's. And it had two bodies in the back of the trunk. In a street in LA somewhere. And from this part of the story, I don't really remember... If my mom came home or how it ha- or how she came to, like, see what was on TV because she was at work, you know? Um, but that explains why I wasn't allowed to watch the TV that day. Because it was on every news channel, you know? I find out later that it was on every news channel, basically, helicopters circling over my mom's car and they're, because my mom's car, you know, it's my mom's car and my dad and my mom are on the registration. And so they're saying my mom and dad's name on channel five, channel four, all the news outlets and saying that there's two Hispanic males shoved in the bank of the truck, you know, in the trunk of the, of my mom's, of the car. And Um, so, fast forward a little. So, after the a thing, my mom had found it again and actually recorded the whole thing from front to back, you know, for, for that whole hour. And they talk about, I to tell you the truth, I've never watched it. I one time tried to put it in the VCR, and as soon as I saw the beginning, and that was literally... All I could, I closed my eyes before I could even really see. But once I saw it was my mom's car on the TV and they were going to start panning into the back of the trunk where my brother was, I kind of just freaked out and turned it off. And knowing what I know now, you know, my brother was assassinated, basically. my brother had multiple gunshot wounds all over his body and he was actually with his cousin from Mexico and he had one bullet right in his forehead. So they were murdered, you know, assassinated cartel style, you know, and what I know now and what I've had asked my cousins in the, in the past, you know, as I got older, they never really wanted to tell me. I really never got anything from them. It was just, like, rumors or just nothing that was ever, like, actual facts, you know? But nobody had ever came out and said that my brother was a gang member or my brother was something, you know? But, you know, looking back at things and my brother being only 18 years old and having wads of cash and stuff like that, he was definitely into the wrong lifestyle, right? And there was a point, you know, definitely growing up that I kind of glamorized it in a way, in my I guess in my head, and I don't know if it was my way to cope with things, but that, you know, my brother was a gangster, he was moving weight, you know, I don't know. Um, but there was definitely nothing that could glamorize that, because especially when you do things bad in this life you could only end up in two places and that's in jail and in prison and both take the even though like it's you know you're not you're not just you're not just harming yourself in those lifestyles you take your whole family with you you know so i don't want to ever retell the story of my brother possibly being involved in a gang or in a drug cartel or something. It was the 90s, you know, late 90s. It was heavy, heavy, heavy gang lifestyle back then. And heavy um, narco-traficante Um, lifestyle during that time and that was definitely the type of music my brother would listen to you know like as I piece together everything now it could only lead up to one story and to one explanation you know I don't want my sons to look at their uncle and be like oh damn you know like that's cool or like glamorize it in a way how like tv and movies do now you know because a lot of pain and suffering came from my brother's choices right but i'm gonna have to break it down to them one day um and how it how his death has affected me over these years you know so all that me experiencing my brother's death at 10 I don't even think I even knew what processing meant or grieving meant. You know, I was 10 in my heading into my tweens, into my teenage years. And I would like to say that I probably was acting out or something. I wasn't bad in school, not at all. I definitely didn't act out in that way, but I was sad. But I don't think I could ever put into words how, how bad it was until I turned, until I turned 18 and 19 and I was going, I had, I had felt this huge burden on my shoulders. I felt like there was a dark cloud following me and I then was starting to get so many flashbacks of my brother's death. And it was the weirdest things. Like so many things. Like me remembering what happened in the funeral home. Me actually screaming out loud in front of everyone. Like just... I remember... I remember I was sitting in a pew by myself in the back. And it's kind of crazy because there was like so many adults around. But for some reason I was by myself. And... And I kind of, like, screamed out out of, like, horror that my brother was in that casket. And that we were there for my brother, you know? My older cousin, Ivanya, grabbed me and, like, whispered in my ear, like, it's going to be okay. And she pulled me out of the funeral home. And from that moment on, I didn't go back in. I stayed outside the whole time. They kept me outside. Because it was just too much. But. One of the things that. That's hard when you're processing loss and grief at that young of an age. You can't really, like, you're mourning who's gone, right? You know, my brother's not going to come back again, and it's definitely a change of life. And, you know, I'm now the oldest, and I have my little brother, and, you know, my mom is probably one of the most strongest people that I ever, you know, will ever know. Because for her to not completely be a basket case and to fall apart, she did a great job of keeping it all together for us, you know? Because I don't know, like, how I wouldn't even know how I would handle something like that, you know? You know, you would want the pain to stop, you know? How do you make the pain stop? You know, obviously my mom wasn't the same after that, you know. But I've already lived with her for this long, you know, mourning this loss with her or watching her process this loss, you know, and grieve all these years. So I don't I guess I don't know any different anymore. I don't know what my mom used to be before. But like my aunts and stuff would say, like, oh, my mom's changed, you know, and it's like, duh, obviously she lost her son. And in the most horrific way ever. And when you're 10, you're not really processing, like, how, you know, all the things that you're going to be doing without that important person in your life, you know? So... I guess I would, I guess the way how I want to say is that I didn't really grieve, right? Like, whatever that means, I think I was just sad and upset and traumatized from the whole experience. But I didn't really start grieving until I was, like, 18 and 19. You know, because I knew, now I knew what mourning meant, you know? Now I knew what grieving meant. I knew there were stages to it and that there's, it needs to come out in certain ways, you know, and you, you know, that you need to deal with it. Cause like, obviously your life is still going on. And although their life has stopped, does not mean that your life is going to stop. And even though, and then I didn't really experience his, you know. I didn't experience his death at 18 and 19, but I really started to really feel like I did then. So I guess that's why the, for me, the grieving process started a whole nine years later, you know, because I even felt at that time like if I was suffocating, you know, I guess I hadn't processed anything yet. And I felt like. I couldn't breathe, and I felt like I had, like, this dark cloud over me, and I couldn't really get out of it, and, you know, obviously from, you know, I didn't just experience my brother's death at that time. I had then lost my grandmother, you know, my Lola, you know, and then my grandfather 11 months after that, so, like, I, and that was when I was 13 and 14, so I definitely went through some, like, it was rough. And I had lost my religion through that through that time, especially with my grandmother and my grandfather's loss. But it was definitely me grieving my brother's death at 18 and 19. Because when I went to college, I went to FIDM in downtown LA. And that was around the time where I was really experiencing all that. Trauma, you know, or at least reliving it and trying to process it and trying to figure out what it was. And something brought me to the new cathedral that's over there. I don't remember the name. And I had a big gap in between my classes, and something would just kept telling me, like, just go to church, you know. And so I did, and it was you know it's just so weird because it's like synchronicities always happen in your life for a reason. And there's this older man who looked like an usher. Like, there was no mass going on, nothing. And he basically just came up to me and was like, you know, if you were having, we're holding confession around, you know, in about 30 minutes. So if you'd like to go, you're able to go. And I was like, damn, like, can you see that I have not been to church? Like, can you see that on my face? You know? (laughs) And, like, does this man know that I have not been to church since, you know, my grandfather's funeral? Like, does he know that I am not? But, obviously. So, I walk through and, obviously, it's a very, you know, a church is a very, like, I don't know. For me, I love churches, even though, like, I wasn't really into my religion anymore. I definitely, I I was raised Catholic. And I still am Catholic. Um, but at that time I wasn't really, you know, definitely had a terrible, terrible, terrible outlook on my religion and God and why all these things were happening to me and why I was experiencing all this loss and why all the people that I love was dying. And I kind of just like walked aimlessly around the church and it's a pretty big church. And I ended up on the other side where the confessionals were. And I, I kid you not, I kind of just went in, like, I felt like I was being pulled in there. And I kind of dropped to my knees and I told the priest that I was like, I don't even know where to start. And he, and I could see that he looked through, you know, And and I just started crying, I dropped to my knees and started crying, and he led me through the whole thing, and it was more like a release, right, it was, uh, not really confessing my sins, but, like, just confessing it all, laying it out, you know, and... I felt better, I definitely felt better, and then my relationship, you know, I'm definitely still spiritual, and I don't, like, I don't really practice, although we do baptize our children Catholic, we do, you know, we do go to church sometimes, but we do not, you know, we don't go every Sunday religiously, Um, I don't know, like, I just, I don't, I don't know how to process it, I guess, I don't know. Um, But I do feel comfort and I do believe in God and I do believe in heaven and I do believe that that's where all my family members are and they're looking up, you know, looking down on us and protecting us and watching over us. I, you know, I believe that they're my spirit guides. I believe in my ancestral guides. I, you know, I believe in a God and the universe and believe, you know, and the divine and all that stuff. Like, now I process all that stuff differently. Right. And that was like a very significant moment, me walking into that church. Cause then after that, whenever I felt like I had a lot on my plate or a lot on my mind or very lost or really going through the cycle of me grieving, um, the cycles of me grieving, I would go to church and just sit there. I never really attended mass. I would just like sit in there and cry and pray and, and cry and pray and cry and pray, you know, until I would feel better and I would leave. Um, so yeah, that was a very tough thing to still process even till now. Um Because, you know, you're the pain never really goes away you just learn how to manage the pain you learn how to you know basically because life is moving like still moves on you know I could definitely be in worse shape than I am now and be still a hot mess and harboring a lot of those feelings instead of like releasing them and understanding what I went through and um Respecting, I guess, the journey I have been up on until this point, you know. Uh, But you never stop mourning. Especially when someone young that you love died, right? Died so young. Because I now mourn what could have been. You know. Me. You know, giving... You know, me giving birth to my sons and me not being able to put my firstborn son into his hands, or my secondborn and my thirdborn, you know, him not being at the hospital, or me not being able to have dance with him on my wedding day, him not being there when a lot of the shit got hard with my parents and my brother, him not being there for my brother you just mourn all of those things that could have been you know the life I could have it would have been different if he was here the nieces and nephews I would have had the sister-in-law I would have had you know I wouldn't have went through my cousin's death without him you know like my mom's side of the family probably wouldn't be so bad if it was, if he was still around, you know, but we'll never know. Cause that wasn't supposed to be right. And that stuff that I deal with now, you know, especially during the sensitive times of the year like this, where I start to feel all these emotions again, around his birthday and then in June around his anniversary, death anniversary date. And that was, um, you know, it's very, it's very hard. And it's just a way of life now, right? Like it's just something that, you know, I, I live with every day and there's not a day that goes, that it, that goes by without me thinking about all the ones that have passed on but one of the things that is most significant is his death. Because when you lose a sibling, you basically lose a part of your heart. You know? We came from the same mom. You know? We, I lost my protector. You know? I lost... You know, one of my first loves, I guess. One of my first best friends, one of the person, you know, one of the people that has loved me the most. That's something you just will never get over. And you just process all the feelings. As you can, like there's just there's no guidebook to this, right? Like there's no, there's no handbook of how to process um, loss and grief and death and how to go on and move on with your life. Because I I know that a lot of our loved ones who are in the afterlife would want us to live that way, right? And I just try my best to. to put that you know put you know make sure that his memory lives on with my sons and and that's that's all I could do you know and I really didn't want to cry <laughs> on this episode but it this is a a much a much needed episode because this is definitely basically where my healing journey has started and has always been about was processing all the death that I had been, you know, I had experienced at such a young age and how that's made me into the person that I am today. And, and I just, I'm just glad that I'm able to, I'm able to have this platform to, be able to share and hopefully you're able to relate to something or, you know, I don't know. Hopefully you didn't get to relate to anything, you know, hopefully you have not been able to, you have not experienced a loss like that before. And, but that's the thing though, is that, you know, death is inevitable for all of us, right? And the outlook is a lot different on it now. That um, I'm a mom and, you know, I have a husband and it's one of the things that, you know, I've definitely had to understand and see the, see the light at the end of the tunnel. That it's not just all sad for the rest of my life, you know, I definitely have been blessed with amazing husband and amazing children and loving family and friends and praise God that I still have my mom and my dad and my younger brother because they are my world and I got to be thankful for everything that is present in my life now and it is so it's such a blessing to be living and what a blessing it is for life And how thankful I am that I am alive right now. You know, because we are not guaranteed anything, any second. We are not guaranteed any second of our life. But I am thankful that I am able to share this story with you now. And I'm so grateful that you chose to listen and to be with this journey with me And to be with me while I'm healing and evolving and trying to better myself. And hopefully I've inspired you a little bit to do something for yourself. Whether that's to heal, whether that's to forgive, whether that's to start loving yourself in a different way or having a healthier mindset. Because the storm does not last forever. And even with... A terrible experience and terrible life-changing event that I have experienced. Even though at that time I didn't think I could survive that. I'm still here today. I'm still here with you. Talking to you about this. And I'm just so thankful that I have this platform to able to... You know, I'm able to help and at least hopefully you inspire one person to process whatever it is that you have heavy on your heart cuz it the pain's only temporary you know you get to manage it and you learn how to process it and how to live with it and how it makes you stronger and And I don't want to say that's part one, but that's definitely part one and most significant of my healing journey. And I just want to dedicate this episode to my brother. And to everyone out there that's listening, that's lost a sibling, I feel for you. I feel for us. And. But there's always brighter days. And we're here and we have the gift of life. And that is something that's so powerful. And so, such a big thing to be grateful for. And I hope I really didn't make you cry. But I thank you for listening to this whole episode with me. And I wish for you a blessed, blessed, blessed day. And I'll see you on the next episode.